All right, well, what's up, Mountain Family? It is so good to be together today. Whether you're joining from one of our campuses or you're online, welcome. You're in the right place today. Uh, before we hop into this week's message, though, I want to detour for just a moment and go pretty far away, all the way to Kenya, okay? We're going to hear from our lead pastor, Ben Kacharis. We know that COVID keeps throwing us curveballs, and we want to be people who are on mission and able to participate fully in the life of the global church. And so we got something kind of special in store for all the mountain people. Check this out. Let's hear from Ben right now. Mountain, we're here in Kosovo, which is one of the villages in Kenya with Missions of Hope. You can hear the kids singing behind us. We're here with the group and we're filming a virtual mission trip so you can come and experience some of what we're experiencing. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. These kids, they're welcoming us right now. Let's get a little tiny peek and then, I mean, can you see them? There's so much more we want to show you, so we want you to follow all the information about the virtual mission trip that we're going to take with Mountain Christian Church here to Missions of Hope in Nairobi. So sign up, register, you're not going to want to miss it, it's going to be fun, everyone in the family can do it. You don't have to get on a plane, you can experience it all through a laptop or your phone. Virtual mission trip is coming. It's going to be absolutely awesome, you guys. All right, so, so don't miss that opportunity, okay? We know we're going to have the opportunity through this virtual mission trip to see the way that God is working in Kenya. Uh, but we also know when we participate in mission work that God does something special in our own hearts and minds. And so uh, I'd encourage you to make sure you sign up. All the details, everything you need, right on the church website. And while Ben's been in Kenya, well, I decided I was going to go have a party at his house. Okay, well, not me. Carla, his wife, had a party. She invited a bunch of people from our staff team over. We went over, we hung out, we ate together, uh, we, we chatted, we shared stories. It was a ton of fun. If you don't know this, Ben and Carla, they kind of live like off the beaten path a little bit. Okay, not way, way out, but far enough to where when the sun goes down and you're on the road going to their house, it's not just dark. It's like, it's like dark, 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 okay? And so I left their house that night hanging out with a whole bunch of mountain staff and we were having a good old time. I got in my truck to leave. I'd let somebody borrow my car. And so I was driving my 1994 F-150. It has all sorts of awesome pinstriping on it that you get when, you know, the weeds and the, and the branches and stuff hit it. It's the kind of truck that you only own to take to the dump or Home Depot. Somebody's borrowing my car, I'm driving my truck, I'm riding around, we, we leave uh, Carla and Ben's house and I get on the road and th this five speed truck, I'm going down the back road and I won't say I'm speeding, I would just say I was being efficient, okay? I wasn't going super fast, but I was moving and I come around this corner under the cover of night and I see kind of this black silhouette in my lane in the middle of the road and I see a car stopped over on the left-hand side. And as I come around, I'm like, oh, I got to start applying the brakes. And I see this black silhouette in the road. And then all of a sudden, I see this gal like jump out in front of it and start going like this, like go to the other side. And I lock up my brakes. I've got nothing in the bed of my truck and it's light and the tires just start squealing. And I'm coming 
closer and closer to whatever this thing is in the road. I thought, well, it must be like her dog or something. And my truck starts to slide and I get my front end and the other lane. And then finally, like I, I correct back and the tail end whips around. I miss whatever that is in the road. And my truck comes back around and misses the car that's parked there. And my car comes to a halt and I get out and I slam the door and I turn around. I'm like, what on earth just happened? And guess what? There's a big stinking turtle in the middle of the road. Yeah, a, a turtle. And I, I just lost my cool. Check this out. This wasn't just any normal turtle. No, this thing was like prehistoric. It was huge. It was gigantic. All these people came down to help us get it out of the road. But when I hit this moment uh, and I get out of the car and I see it's a turtle, I like take off towards this girl. And I confront her and I'm like, you put your life at risk for a turtle. I paused and I said, no, answer me this question for real. Would you rather I wreck my truck or hit you than hit the turtle? Like, is that what your desire was? You thought, man, this turtle means so much to me that I'm just going to step out in front of this truck. Answer me this question. I was fuming. I was mad. And finally, I cooled off. I collected myself and I apologized to her for being a big stinking jerk. We got that turtle out of the street. Neighbors came. They heard the tire squeal. Other people from the Kacheris home that were following behind me stopped. We had just this ordeal in the middle of the street over a turtle. I apologized to this girl. I get in my truck, and on the way home, I'm still fuming. And it hit me in that moment that she was willing to take a risk, a substantial risk, for the good of this turtle. Like what, what is that about? For whatever reason, she cared about this ugly turtle so much that she was kind of willing to step out in front of my truck. And then she had to deal with me griping about it. I mean, I think I was right, but she was willing to take a stand for that thing. And it got me thinking that all around me, people are willing to stand up for something. And yeah, sometimes it's silly. Sometimes it's a turtle. But if we care about something, we stand for something. In the, in the series called Stand, we've, we've been talking about that. We're, we're introduced to the apostle Peter in 1 Peter, and he is saying, I have taken a stand for Christ. What does it look like to stand like Peter did? And Peter, he's, he's writing this letter under the reign of Nero, and Nero was not a good dude, Okay. Nero was a guy who was known for his opposition to Christianity, persecuting Christians. He's like the really bad Liam Neeson, okay, saying to Christians, I will find you and I will kill you. Like to be a Christian in this time was not easy at all. Yet Peter was bold. It didn't matter what was coming down the street, he was willing to stand up for Jesus. And we talked in week one about how uh, we are supposed to be people who, who stand out. As believers, as people who walk with Jesus, we are aliens to this world. We are foreigners to this world. Like, like we don't belong to this world. And so we stand out in this world. And in week two, we talked about what it looks like to stand together in unity, not necessarily conformity, but in great unity with one another, with brothers and sisters in Christ, to stand together, to love each other no matter what. And then last week we heard from Ben's sweet mother as we talked about what it looks like to stand firm. 
A trust that God is even with us in the most difficult of circumstances. And today, I believe that if, if we're really standing out, if we're standing together, if we're standing firm, if God is shaping our lives in all of those ways, then it's gonna move our heart, our soul, and mind and give us such a bold faith in God that we're gonna be able to stand strong, even in the face of those that might not agree or might push back against what we believe in our walking with Jesus. Let me, let me explain it to you this way, okay? The, the outcome the overflow, the natural evolution of your life that comes with following Jesus, walking with Jesus, saying, I want to love this world the way that Jesus has loved me. Well, those events will do a certain work within you to make you holy. Holiness is what we're called to. It takes you down a different path than anything else in this world or in this life. And Peter, he describes it to us like this in the first chapter. Here, here's what he says. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, roll up your sleeves, get in the game. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming you, to you when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into the old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. Now, what Peter is saying here is saying, hey, we got work to do. If you're walking with Jesus, roll up your sleeves and get ready. Because we know what the future holds for us if we walk with Christ. And that's eternity with him. So get busy. Don't just do what you used to do. And he continues, he goes on and he says this. You didn't know any better then before you walked with Jesus, but now you do. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a life shaped by God's life, a life energized and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, so you too be holy. I love that phrase, blazing with holiness. Because the reality is, is, is us as Christ followers, we see a future with Jesus. And that future with Jesus should shape our lives now. It should create something in us. It should transform us, renew us, the way that we think, the way that we act to reflect Jesus in this life. But you know, I don't think it's necessarily uncommon today for people to accept Jesus, to say, I want to walk with Jesus just so they can get into heaven. Right? It's like punching some kind of eternal ticket saying, yeah, I just, if I've got the option between heaven and hell, well, I'm going to choose heaven. But what Jesus is telling us, what Peter is emphasizing here is that if you really know what your future reality is, and if you're yoked up with Jesus in this life, living side by side with the glory of Christ, if we have eyes to see that, then we should live today with such radical love and radical devotion that we are blazing with holiness. Well, I mean, we know what holiness looks like. It's unprecedented love and care for those around us. It's going out of our way to serve and honor others, to offer grace upon grace upon grace. Looks like generosity, hospitality, showing up, being okay, disagreeing with people that might not think the same way you do on non-eternal matters. It means not disliking someone because they're a part of a different political party. They have to view a mask or maybe, I don't know, there's a Steelers fan, whatever it is. Like we love people. What does a life blazing with holiness look like? It looks like really good stuff. And Peter saying, if you're walking with Jesus and you know the hope of eternity that you have with Jesus, then that should shape and change you now. 
You're not just waiting to punch your ticket to heaven. You're looking for tangible ways to bring heaven to earth, to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to your life, to your school, to your friends. You're going to have this energetic holiness that you can't help but show to other people. And when you do, there will be opposition. There will be persecution. There will be views that oppose yours. There will be people who are annoyed by your desire to please God and your desire to allow God to use you to transform this world. There will be opposition, but don't retreat when the opposition arises. Jesus never sugarcoats this for us. He talks about what it looks like to truly love, the ways that he has loved us, what it looks like to be a friend of Jesus. But then he gives us this warning in John chapter 15. He says this. He says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of it. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus says, if you choose to walk with me, there will be persecution. No doubt about it. And all around the world, Christians are criticized, ostracized, demonized. It's increasingly difficult to stand up for Christ without being pushed back down. In other countries, we know there's real physical persecution. People are dying for their faith. And here in our country, well, we feel the forces of persecution also pushing against the church, albeit in different ways. Whatever circumstances you find yourself walking in, if you are walking with Christ, there will be opposition. And while the opposition is strong, let me remind you and encourage you that the love of Christ is stronger. Peter knew this. He encourages us in that. If we're going to walk with Christ, we got to get our faith strong so that when the opposition comes, we can stand strong. You look at the life of Peter, it's not short of any amount of him standing strong, except for that time he denied Jesus. Okay, you've got the situation where, where Peter is, is watching Jesus go through trials. He's watching people persecute him. He's on trial. He's getting ready to be put on a cross. And people are coming up to Peter and they're saying, do you know that Jesus guy? He's like, no, not me. I don't know him. And we see that happen three times. I mean, Jeter, J Peter himself was persecuting Jesus in that moment. Yet you fast forward to the book of Acts and Jesus resurrects from the dead and he stands before Peter and he says, it's okay, Peter. I forgive you and I love you. The one who once persecuted Jesus now welcomed into Jesus' arm. That's what the radical love of Jesus looks like. And Peter feels that, he experiences that and it changes him to his core and it emboldens his faith. And in Acts chapter four, we see Peter and John, they're going around just, just so pumped. Jesus comes, he says, hey, I'm gonna go back to heaven, fist bumps, you guys got this, keep going, spread the good news, go do good work. And well, Peter, he gets busy and he does just that. He's going around healing people, caring for people, he's doing good. And the religious leaders, they don't like that, so they call him in. They call him into the principal's office, all right? It's kind of like when my son gets in trouble, I call him in, I sit him down, I'm like, hey, Isaac, let me tell you what you did wrong. He's like, but dad, but dad, but dad. And he's trying to interrupt me. I'm like, no, be quiet, hush up, I gotta tell you. But dad, but dad, but dad. I can kind of imagine Peter in this moment feeling that way. 
they're putting him there in time out and saying, hey, this can't continue. This whole Jesus thing you keep talking about, that's got to stop. And Peter's like, but guys, I got something to say. Like, no, no, be quiet, okay? The threats are coming his way. Real persecution is in front of him. They're threatening him with all sorts of stuff. And finally, they stop talking, and Peter just kind of jumps up, and he says, but, but salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. See, Peter's life had been so radically changed by Jesus that in the very face of opposition, in the very face of persecution, he can't help but say, but, but you guys don't get it. Salvation is found in no one else by Jesus. Why wouldn't I act like him? And these religious leaders, well, they, they don't touch them there. They don't physically persecute them, but they take note of something that I want us to take note of. And this is what it says in Acts chapter four. It says, when they saw the courage the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Y'all, they were just like me. And they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter's just a normal dude like me. And he experiences the life-altering love of Jesus and it radically transforms him and it gives him faith that stands strong. Peter is called to faithfulness in Christ because he's experienced Christ's faithfulness to him. And if you walk with Jesus, if you know Jesus loves you, you're going to stand out. You're going to look different. It's going to shape the way that you live. And people are going to take note of it. And in the face of the opposition, you can say, just like Peter did, I stand strong because I stand with Jesus. You move forward a chapter in Acts and we, we run into the same ordeal. But now these leaders, they've brought the apostles in. And they've told them, hey, you, come on. You're back in the principal's office again. We told you to quit blabbing about Jesus, to quit doing good stuff in the name of Jesus, yet you keep going. So now there's going to be some real physical punishment. The belt's coming off. And they flogged them in that moment. I sometimes think we, like, we move on from that word flog too quick. Like Let the severity of this sink in just a little bit for you. They were whipped 13 times with a triple strip of calf's hide across their back. Moved from insults to pain. You better believe there were marks. You better believe that blood was drawn. You better believe that the pain was excruciating. You gotta be wondering, okay, so, so what are the apostles gonna do now? What's Peter gonna do now? And here's what the scripture tells us they did. Get ready for this. This is wild, okay? It says they called the apostles back in. They gave them a thorough whipping and they warned them like, hey, stop talking about Jesus. But the apostles went out of the high council overjoyed because they had been given the honor of being dishonored on account of the name, on account of Jesus. And every day they were in the temple and homes, teaching and preaching Christ Jesus, not letting up for a minute. What Peter realized there is he got to suffer in the same way that Jesus suffered, which means he must be doing something right. Because Jesus came and did a lot of good, and he suffered for it. 
And he did not let up. Standing strong requires the kind of faith that Peter had. And then check this out. You might wonder, like, well, eventually, I'm sure Peter got sick of the persecution, of the opposition. Well, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, that's like the mid-30s AD. Now fast forward 30 years later, and Peter is writing this letter to the churches that we're reading today. 30 years later, this wasn't just a temporary moment where he heard something in a sermon and it made him all excited. It wasn't a moment at camp where he raised his hands and walked forward. No, no, no. this was a moment that had a lifelong impact on him. His interaction with Jesus, he met Jesus and it transformed him. So much so that he couldn't help but keep doing good things in the name of Jesus. And the opposition kept coming at him. And 30 years later in 1 Peter chapter 4, we see that he's not stopped. Peter, a seasoned Christian, now writing to a bunch of noobs like us. Saying, well, let me give you some advice here. Friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But what do we do instead when the trials come? We rejoice. And as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We know what's coming. We know what eternity looks like with Jesus. We've been given the picture of that. So when we live today and we look like Jesus and we're persecuted because of that, let's rejoice in it. And he goes on in the scripture. And he says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. And if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or as a meddler. Like, like don't suffer because you sinned. Instead, suffer because you're righteous, because you keep doing good and people are opposing it. And he goes on, he says this, and don't miss it. It's so important. In the next verse of 1 Peter, he says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Let me explain this to you. To this point and all throughout scripture, when the word Christian is used, it's used from the, from the perspective of the opponent. Someone who, who doesn't think Christianity is a good thing. They got a problem with it. So when the word Christian is used here, it's like someone saying, oh, oh, Christians. Oh. It's kind of like as a Kentucky fan, sometimes I'm like, oh, you're a Louisville fan? Well, all throughout scripture, when someone's saying you're a Christian, like, oh, you're a Christian? Except here. Now, Peter is redeeming it. He's saying, don't be ashamed. Christian just means to follow Christ. It means you're standing out. You're looking like Jesus. You're doing good. Don't be ashamed of it. Instead, wear it as a badge of armor. Wear it as a badge of honor. Wear it as a badge that everyone could see the radical love of Jesus pouring out of your life. Because when you stand with Jesus, you're going to look different. And scripture tells us that means opposition will come. We need to have a faith like Peter. So when it comes, we can stand strong. If that truck's coming down the road, we're not moving. Because we know that the love of Jesus needs to be shared with every single person that we come in contact with. I've read stories of those all around the world who have suffered 
physical persecution because they love Jesus and they're doing good in communities where Jesus is not wanted. I was in India probably six years ago and I was walking around India with, my, with a guy named Abhiji who, who's a part of Central India Christian Mission. They'd walk us from place to place, show us the work that they were doing. Amazing, good, beautiful work. Saving late-term aborted babies, creating orphanages, healing people, caring for people, opening hospitals, valuing women, caring about those in all spectrums of the caste system, loving their neighbor well, doing good in the name of Jesus. And it produced opposition to them. Because, well, the, the light went off of the worldly rulers, and move to the one who is holy and loves us, Jesus. And it's interesting because we walk into this, this hospital and Abhijit is showing us around. And he walks in and he goes around and he just says, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you to everybody he comes in contact with. The guy with Abhijit was an armed guard holding a shotgun because that's the danger that Abhijit was in as a Christian in India. He had had bullets shot at his house death threats constantly. Yet he walks into this hospital that the organization that he gets to work for built, that cares for people each and every single day, that shows the radical love of Jesus. And he's got to have an armed guard with him. And he walks in and he's like, Freds, this hospital exists for one reason, to give Jesus praise. This is his hospital. And I'm like, yeah, what he said, right? Like I, I started to get nervous. I was starting to duck out of the way. He's, he's in the middle of real physical persecution and he is standing strong. And I asked him like, how do you stand that strong? And he says, when Jesus has transformed your life, the way that he has transformed mine, you can't help but tell other people about it. The same thing that Peter said in Acts chapter four and the same thing he's saying in first Peter chapter four. Abhijit had this deep-rooted faith, trust in Christ. And Peter calls us to that kind of faithfulness. You know, I was, I was reading this week about Christians in Afghanistan. And as people are trying to get out of that country, they said, you know, we're going to stand strong because people here need Jesus. And they're receiving phone calls saying, we know that you're a Christian and we're coming for you. They don't feel safe when they walk in the streets. The opposition is real. But it's true that the opposition we feel every single day is real as well. It might be different and that's okay, but it's real. You know, the word suffering found in 1 Peter here, it's a word that actually means like a, a, a mental, emotional turmoil that you feel for standing with Jesus. And I'm sure we feel that here, don't we? It's not popular necessarily to be a Christian. Maybe you're a sixth grader and the least cool, the least cool thing in your school is to say that you're a Christian. That's real opposition. You feel that. Maybe those around you have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is and they think you're exclusive and a bigot. Well, that's real opposition and we feel that. Maybe others in your own household don't understand what's so attractive about Jesus so they're pushing back. That's real. Maybe your spouse isn't walking with Jesus and you are and it's creating all this friction about how to lead your family. That's real. 
Maybe you've been asked to go out of bounds at work and you know that if you don't, you might lose your job, but your belief in Jesus to do good and to do right won't allow you to go that route. That's real. The list can continue in the ways that we feel opposition in this world. Maybe you're at the party and you're not willing to participate in everything else that everybody else is doing and they look at you a little bit awkward. That's real. You feel that, you know it. Walking with Christ certainly isn't the most popular choice. But Peter tells us that through our suffering, God will purify us, strengthen our faith, because there's no way that we can withstand it without him. When the opposition comes, stand strong and stand with Jesus. And when it comes, Rejoice. Because you must be doing something right. Jesus did nothing but good. He brought nothing but good. And he says, if you do the same, if you follow in those footsteps, persecution, opposition, it will be there. And rejoice, because it just means you look like Jesus. We know what eternity has in store for us. So let's live today in light of that future reality. And let's continue to live like Jesus. I can't say in my life, maybe outside of that one instance in India, I ever felt like my life was in danger for walking with Jesus, but I felt the opposition. I felt the persecution. People who think I'm weird or awkward or unaware I want to stand strong and I want to have faith and I want to live like Peter did because Peter lived like Jesus did. And Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, he gives us some advice on what we should do when the opposition comes. And don't miss this. This is so important. Here's what he says. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Whatever the opposition looks like to you, whatever the persecution looks like in your life, when it comes, commit yourself faithfully to your creator. And how do you respond? You don't get mad, you don't get frustrated. You just put your head down and you keep doing the good work that Jesus has called you to do. Because we know that when we live for Jesus, it's gonna change the world. Some might oppose it, but many are going to accept it. Stand strong. Show the world Jesus. Persevere. Jesus is worth it but it takes faith. Peter shows us the way. You know, I've been thinking for a long time about how to maybe draw this message to a close and to talk about persecution and opposition. This is heavy stuff. And we know that, that around us, there, there's some kind of spiritual battle. There's heaven versus hell. There's good versus bad. 
And I don't know what else to do in this moment than just to pause and pray for the strength that comes to the faithfulness that we have in Jesus. And so church, that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to invite all of our campuses, if you're worshiping on a campus right now, that our campus pastor comes forward. And then they're going to lead us through a moment just to pray together. Because what we see is in the book of Acts, when the disciples would get locked up for their faith, their response would be to sing, to pray, and to give God praise. And so as we talk about opposition, I think that's only appropriate that that is also our response. That in the next few moments, we pause and we pray together, we sing together, and we give our Lord and Savior praise together because we stand strong in his name. The opposition might be strong, but the love of Jesus is stronger. And so in these next few moments, we're gonna talk to God. We're gonna sing praises. We're gonna gonna sing a song about how we fight our battles. And we know that the spiritual war in our life, we can only fight through faithfulness in Jesus. So stand strong. For those of us worshiping together online, we're invited to this moment of prayer. We're gonna pray a couple of times over the next few minutes while we sing together. I would just encourage you, if you're, if you're watching with some friends, gather up and pray. Pray for faithfulness. Pray for strength. And we're gonna have an opportunity here to pray for our global partners. These are people who, who Mountain has sent out into the mission field around the world, some here stateside, some all over the place. Some names won't have a place located next to them because it's too dangerous for us to disclose it. Those are people who need our prayers to stay faithful, to stay strong, to stay the course. And so we're going to do what the apostles did when they would get locked up. We're going to sing and we're going to pray.